So I have a friends visiting from Cincinnati, um, Trista and Josh Lamb, that I've asked to come up and just deliver a word, a word that God had put on their heart if, if God was speaking to them. And so he said, yeah, I have a word. And so uh, is it okay if you just hear from him for a minute? And then we'll, awesome. Thank you, Joe. Yeah, so that was beautiful. Uh, well, it's weird. We're going to change gears. It's not aggressive. Um, It's just so beautiful. We have three kids, and we've been away from them, which is so good and then so sad. Um, and then I know we're going to see them tomorrow night, and I'm already a little more tired. Okay, so when I was praying for you guys, what I felt like um, was, I guess, a warning for you, for me, for probably the church, uh, about an increase of noise and distraction and encouragement. I think this will be a, a helpful way to uh, help us navigate the noise and distraction that I think are about to increase as we pursue the Lord even harder. Um, and so I was praying and listening, and I just felt like the Lord said, as, as you guys pursue him harder, like the more you're like, I'm gonna get into the word, or I'm gonna go after the kingdom, or I wanna see what it looks like to love my neighbors and, and build my community, that the enemy is just gonna keep raising the volume around you, like this, this chatter. I used to work at Apple and at the mall, uh, and I would be working with a customer, and I would be talking to them, hearing them. There, we had to wear earpieces, and so I'm hearing all the back talk, like the over the radio. The people next to me are working with customers. There's music playing, and frequently I would be like, I am having so much trouble trying to figure out what's wrong with your phone, like because there's just so much going on, and like headaches were like part of it. And so I just feel like there's this aspect of that that, that the enemy is trying to bring against the church. And, um, and, and it's, not always, it's not even going to be bad things. There are going to be things that, that are going to fight for your attention and your thought life that you're like, yeah, okay, sure. And you don't even realize how detrimental it is that it's starting to take time. So it might be good things. Um, the Lord brought to mind Nehemiah 6, 1 through 9. So we're going to read that. You can turn there if you want. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 6. Nehemiah has been commissioned by God to rebuild the wall, and the whole time he just the whole the whole book is just these three guys, well, this whole group of people trying to stop him from doing the work that God has put in front of him. And so we're going to read the first nine verses of chapter six, um, starting in verse one. Nehemiah six one. Now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates, so he's not quite done. Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, come and let us meet together at Hekferim in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. And this is a key verse. I sent messages to them saying, I am doing a great work and cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? So he has a commission from God. These guys are trying to stop it, and they keep trying to find ways to distract him, and he just outright says, I'm doing a great thing. I'm doing a great work. Why should I stop and come down to you? And he doesn't do it. So then they respond, and they say, uh, they did this four times in this manner, and I answered them in the same manner. And in the same way, Sanballat, for the fifth time, sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. 
He's trying another way to distract him. And it was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are rebuilding the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And so you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem, there is a king in Judah, and now the king will hear of these reports. So come down and let us take counsel together. Then I sent to him saying, no such things as you say have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. God gave him the, the discernment and the wisdom to know, that's not true. I'm not gonna engage with you. And he says, for all they wanted to do was frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. And the NLT says, let me set to do the work with even greater determination. And so there's, I just feel that there's this distraction rising. Um, and some of us are doing it willingly. Like, you know when you're like, I just need, this isn't what I'm supposed to be doing right now, but I'm just like, I just need a distraction. I just need to distract myself because I can't handle what he's doing. Some of us, it's happening accidentally. Some of it's an attack of the enemy. So what I want to do is we're going to take, um, we're going to take a full minute to ask the Holy Spirit to identify any noise, any distraction, anything that's really cluttering the airwaves, so to speak, if you, if you know what I mean, cluttering the airwaves so that we can't really hear clearly or that we're distracted. So we're going to ask the Holy Spirit. Let's just go ahead. We'll, let's close our eyes. We're going to pray. Holy Spirit, we know the enemy is trying to distract us to clutter our airwaves so that we don't connect with you, so that we give our time to things that you haven't set out for us to give our time to. Holy Spirit, we ask you to identify any noise that we've willingly given into, any good thing that needs to be laid down, and even any areas where we've been debating the enemy too long giving him time instead of resting with Jesus and putting our hands to work with even greater determination. Holy Spirit, we ask when you, if you help us identify these things that you also show us how to turn them over to you. So we're going to take a minute of silence now just to listen and respond to the Lord. Father God, thank you for being gracious to touch our hearts and gently correct us when we need it. God, we pray that we would be aware of the schemes of the enemy. And in the coming weeks, in the coming season, when, when we go harder after you, 
with greater determination and that distraction and the noise and the chatter rises up, God, that you would give us that return to this peace. And God, as we prepare to hear this message from Paul, we pray that that clutter would have been removed and we'll be able to receive you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Josh. Appreciate you, man. Appreciate that. So good. Getting past the clutter, getting past the noise. Let's go to our text this morning, um, Matthew 21. Just open up to Matthew 21, 1 through 11. Twenty-one, one through eleven. It says now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, uh, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, "Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and He will send them at once." This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying. Say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them, and they brought the donkey and the colt and put, them on, put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. And most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the tree and spread them on the road. And the crowds went before him and followed him, were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus of Nazareth from Galilee. This is uh, the reason why we celebrate Palm Sunday is the entering in of Jesus into Jerusalem in the beginning of his week of the Passion Week. Um, this is a happened during Passover in the Jewish tradition. The Jews had this tradition of Passover where they uh, were freed from Egypt through the last and final plague where um, the Lord sent a, a spirit of death to uh, kill every adult, excuse me, every child, every oldest child in the home. And for them to be protected from that, they would have a spotless uh, blemish, a spotless lamb without blemish, and they would... Um, put the blood of that lamb on the doorpost. And so as the spirit would pass over the doorpost, if they saw the blood of the lamb, he would, the spirit would pass over it and not uh, affect that household. And so they celebrate this Passover as a celebration of freedom from Egyptian oppression, freedom from bondage, freedom from this uh, uh, difficult situation they had by their captors. And, uh, and now, during this week, Jesus enters in on a donkey. It's interesting he enters in on a donkey. Uh, donkeys uh, are symbolizing uh, peace. Uh, kings that conquer and come into a city that are conquering kings come in on a horse. But Jesus uh, is low and of heart and humble, and he comes in on a donkey. Um, I, I love all the symbolism that happens throughout the word. Some things are indirect, and you see them, you're like... Man, I wonder if God, just before all creation and time, planned this. But uh, if many of you might not know this, but donkeys will uh, are, are uh, defenders of uh, herds. Uh, they uh, kill coyotes. Did you know donkeys kill coyotes? I did not know that until I moved to New Mexico. 
um, from Pennsylvania. We don't have donkeys or coyotes. And uh, uh, met friends when we came here, and they bought a donkey. To, and one of the things was it, will, it would kill coyotes who entered into their land. Uh, they would see them as threats. Instead of the livestock or the herd running away from the coyote, the donkey, while the livestock's running away, the donkey will run after that coyote and try to kick it to death. Um, so they're, they're, they're very uh, brave. Um, also, uh, they considered donkeys to be, uh, back in that day when they would build cities, they would refer to them as the first stage city planners. Why is that? Well, um, I didn't know this until I read it. Um, but basically, they would release a donkey into an area that they wanted to plan a city, and the donkey will always choose the least path of resistance. And that's where they determined to make their roads. And they say donkeys aren't really stubborn, they're just super wise. And so if you try to make them go into a path that's actually not the best path, they don't want to go that way. They want to go in the best path. And so, um, uh, but one of the things that I thought was extremely fascinating is that on the back of a donkey is the symbol of a cross. Do you guys know this? And uh, it's not just on some donkeys or half donkeys, it's on every donkey. Not all of them have it as prominent as other donkeys, but uh, listening to an Australian uh, herder, they said if you shave a donkey on the back, on its skin, will be a cross. Interesting. It's not in the Bible, but, you know, hey, some symbolism there. I always, uh, I always find it funny. I remember being in ministry and, and uh, at ministry school and uh, traveling with Dr. Randy Clark, and uh, he's like, uh, he, he would share this story, and I just always loved it. And you ever hear the story of the donkey and the cow at the barn? Well, the donkey, uh, I know I've told the story of the chicken and the pig. Um, if, you, if you're part of this church, you might have remembered that one. But the donkey and the, and the cow goes like this. The donkey uh, comes back from a day of work, and he says to the cow, Cow, you should have seen me today. I was amazing. I was trotting. Everyone was praising and clapping. I was like, wow, this is great. They're putting palm leaves down. I'm like, wow, they really must honor me and love me. And the cow said, oh, donkey, was there anyone riding you today? Well, come to think of it, yeah, there was someone riding me. He said, oh, donkey, who was the, what was the name of that, that man? He said, oh, I think his name was Jesus. He said, oh, donkey, they weren't praising you. They were praising the one who was riding you. And he said, oh, and, and Randy always reminded me, he said, Paul, the glory, all glory belongs to the Lord. It's not you that they're praising. They're just praising the one who comes in on the donkey, you know, praising the one who's riding the donkey. You're just a donkey. <laughs> so, oh. But this is also so true. When it comes to Palm Sunday, we kind of, we, we, we are so thankful for Jesus, for his sacrifice and the beginning of the Passion Week. And, and this, this is the, actually the start of his death, even though it's a celebration and they see him as king, in their minds, they're actually perceiving him as a physical king who's going to physically set them free from Roman oppression. And everyone in the city is on edge. Uh, you have the Roman leaders who are on edge. I don't know why, but they would allow the religious leaders and the religious institution of, of Judaism to continue to celebrate Passover. Now, if you're an oppressing uh, country, you usually don't want them to celebrate the celebration that talks about their freedom from foreign oppression. But think about it. They're actually celebrating their freedom from Egypt while they're being oppressed by Romans. 
hoping and desiring for a Messiah to finally set them free so Israel can walk in what they would think would be political freedom from oppression for good. That Jesus would set, not that, that a Messiah would set them free. And this is the perception of the Messiah. So when they say Hosanna, the translation of a Hosanna is actually save us. You're new, this new king, save us king, son of David. And so now you have the Romans who are trying to keep things settled down during Passover where they're celebrating freedom from Egyptian and foreign oppression. They're actually now um, praising a potential king. And then you also have the religious order of the day that actually made an agreement with Rome. One of the reasons why they were able to have Passover and do their temple rituals and all that stuff is because they agreed with Rome, if you let us do this, we will make sure that, that everyone stays in line during this oppression. And so the religious leaders were able to be empowered because they kind of sold out to the Roman leaders. And so now you have these two uh, orders, these two authorities that are on edge because there is a new king in town who's going to shake things up. And this is actually the beginning of where they start to plot for good to kill Jesus. Now, why is this so significant? Why is Palm Sunday so significant? Uh, Matthew Henry commentary points this out, um, but I also want to read from John 1, 2, 9, and 12, and I just have a slide because we're going to read portions of that scripture. Um, It says, six days before Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was. Who was Lazarus? Whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And so they gave a dinner for him there, and Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. And when the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. And the next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. Now, the the account of John is so powerful because it talks about the next day. So it kind of gives us an idea. First of all, we know that Passover happens in the Jewish calendar of Nisan, Nisan, uh, the Jewish calendar is based on a moon cycle, where the Gregorian calendar that we use is based on the sun cycle, right? Well, the Jewish calendar bases it on a moon cycle, so the months will change during dates. So that's why sometimes Easter is in April, and sometimes it's in March, right? Have you ever on accident planned something on Easter because you forgot to check? I have. Well, the reason is this, because we know that uh, we we celebrate Easter during Passover because we know that's when Jesus' death would have occurred. Um, So so we know that the month is Nisan, and we know that, um, uh, I'll I'll, I'll, I'll read this, um, let me just read this one portion, it's another slide, Exodus 12, 3, and 6. This will make it all come together. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. This is when they were oppressed by Egypt. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old, and take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. So in Jewish tradition, um, back in Exodus, before the tradition that they were celebrating this moment, for Passover, they were supposed to take a lamb without blemish into their home on the 10th day. Well, let's go to John, Well, uh, to, to what we just read. On the 10th day of this month, which is Nisan 10, 
the month is Nisan, the day is 10, the first month of the Israelite calendar, each family was to choose a one-year-old lamb without blemish, no defect. Bring it into their home and care for it for five days. On Nisan 14, they were to slaughter it just before sundown and put its blood on the lintel and doorposts of their home. Well, six days before Passover puts Jesus in Bethany on Nisan 9. And when John says the next day, that would have been Nisan 10, the same date the Israelites were to bring lambs without blemish in their homes. So even though the, the Jewish, the Israelites were celebrating Jesus on Palm Sunday by laying down these palms and these cloaks and celebrating him, thinking that he would be this political king that would save them, Jesus is fulfilling a prophetic word by on the 10th day of Nisan, which was the day of Palm Sunday, that they received a lamb without blemish into Jerusalem. And he would be sacrificed on Good Friday, which would be Nisan 15. The Bible is so full of clues and typologies. The Old Testament points to the New Testament. It's a typology of Jesus, the spotless one. Jesus knew he was marching to his death for the everlasting victory to come, and nobody realized that this was an unstoppable moment. A lot of people, and I'm so thankful that we now get to celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the triumph that Jesus had on today, Palm Sunday, because he was bringing in and ushering in the victory that we all can walk in when we accept Christ into our hearts and believe that he's our savior and Lord and we follow him. This is an amazing feat. See, even though this is about us being restored back to humanity, to God, got humanity back to God. Um, Jesus made the, had this sacrifice because sin had entered the world. And so the Father sent his Son, his only begotten Son, not created, he was begotten. Everlasting, he was before time, Jesus was before time, the Son of God, fully man and fully divine when he was incarnated. He lived a sinless life, died on the cross, as an atoning sacrifice for our sin that we could receive him as Lord and Savior of anyone who believed in his name. On the third day, he rose again and ascended into heaven 40 days later, and then 10 days later, the Spirit was poured out. This is the gospel message. And instead of triumphing, you know, a lot of us try to think that God will physically save us from our circumstance, and oftentimes that, that is true, but I'm so grateful that I have freedom from oppression in the inside of my heart. He wasn't just a political, he wasn't a political freedom fighter. He was a, um, a, a soul freedom fighter to free you from the bondage of sin and hell. I remember being in a dark place. I don't know uh, uh, if you've ever been in a place that's so dark in your own life that you can't see past your own hand. I've been there. Have you ever gone to a place or maybe they shut out the lights and it's all of a sudden you're like, I can't see a thing. This is really trippy right now. And so you start trying to memorize the room you were in. Has it ever happened to you? This happened to my dad. I remember when my sister was young, she played this uh, amazing instrument that, you know, 
many children learn because they're going to use it as adults, the clarinet. Yeah, she's, she was playing the clarinet. We all suffered uh, while we were listening to her play this thing. I'm like, is this torture? Do teachers just come up with this stuff to torture families? Um, so she's playing this, and she had this music stand. This wasn't like these nice music stands with these rounded edges. This is like the silver metal pointy ones that collapse and then come out, and then they're like death machines. And my father, being such a loving man, he would, he would, um, he would just, you know, sometimes just go in the room and, and give, his, give us a kiss, uh, you know, and pray for us and, while we're sleeping. And, and, um, and he, was, uh, he, was, he was, you know, in his jammy getup. And he was probably like an Italian, um, you know, white shirt that uh, has no sleeves that they have a derogatory name for. But tank top. All right, there we go. And, uh, and, uh, and so he prays for her. And I just remember this because it was just such a stir in the house because the lights are absolutely out. But my sister was so gracious to leave this metal booby trap in the room. And as he's going, because he thinks he has the room memorized and boom, he wrestles this thing to the ground and loses. And the things that come out of his mouth were the opposite of the prayers that he was praying. They were ungodly. And he had to repent of them later, but it all stirred the whole house. He turned the lights on, and there's this five-pound uh, music stand that's on top of my father as he's, you know, uh, whining in pain. But I know what it's like to be in those dark places. I remember my own life where, um, you know, I lost my whole family. I, I, uh, it was a Thanksgiving day, and I didn't have my family with me. Um, I was in a really traumatic moment of my life. I was running from the Lord, and I was uh, in a bar and just trying to numb the pain. I was drinking alcohol, and, um, and uh, I go outside to smoke a cigarette, and this uh, African-American man comes up to me, and he says, Paul, are you gonna make it? You know, he says, excuse me, are you gonna make it? I said, what? He said, you heard me, are you gonna make it? I said, yeah. He said, how do you know? And I said, I said the only three uh, answers that are correct in, I don't know why I did this, but it was like I was time warped back to children's church where the only three answers are Jesus, the Bible, and prayer, no matter the question. And out of my mouth goes, because Jesus? He said, Jesus, why'd you say Jesus? I said, because I'm a Christian. He just ignored me. I was just giving him pat answers. He said, what's your name? I said, my name's Paul. He said, wow. He said, you know, Paul in the Bible did great things for God. One day, Paul, you're gonna do great things for God. And he left. And I just dropped my cigarette to the ground and I ran to my car and I cried my eyes out. It was like God reached out to me and he was after me because he doesn't want to waste his glory. He doesn't want to waste the sacrifice that he's had for us. If you would receive him as king, not as a political king, but as king of your heart, will you let him conquer your heart? Will you surrender your life once and for all to him, and he will transform your life. He's the one and only. Everyone else will fall short. Everything else in your life will fall short, but if you give your life to Jesus, he'll be the king of your heart. You know, he could have been a political king, but that, that's nothing, that's just temporary. That's just, that's just taking care of an outward thing. I, I know people who have everything you could think of in life and are still empty. And I know people who have nothing physical in life, but they've given their lives to Jesus and they couldn't be happier than ever. Jesus did die for you. He died because he wanted to restore you back to himself, back to God. But it also is because he died for him because he gets the glory in it. 
not just for you, but for him. It proves his worth. And so we celebrate him as king of our hearts. Maybe you don't know Jesus at all. Today's a great day to know Jesus. Today's a great day to give your life to Jesus. You might be saying, well, yeah, but I've given my life to Jesus. I've tried that before. It just didn't work. Well, it's because you didn't give it all to him. We gave a down payment. Well, Jesus doesn't want a down payment. He wants your life. He wants everything. Maybe you've been a Christian for years and decades, and this past two years has rocked your world so badly that you don't even know which way's up anymore, and you haven't been following the Lord. He no longer has your heart. Well, today's a great day to give it back to him. Some of us think, yeah, I've done that. I, I said that prayer, and I, I, I confessed with my mouth that Jesus is Lord, and I went back to my old life, and nothing changed. Well, It's not a magic pill. This is a covenant of God. You give him your life. You you give him everything. He takes over your life and then you serve him. And watch how he transforms your heart. Not watch how he transforms your finances. That happens through community and stewardship and biblical principles. And God is for you. He is with you in your finances. But I'm not talking about, I'm not trying to sell you Jesus. I heard a pastor say recently in a, in a group discussion, he thought he was being really funny. He's like, you know, when I go golfing with, because uh, he tries to witness to people, he doesn't like to tell them he's a pastor. And so he said, they say, what do you do? Because that's what everyone loves to ask. Because your identity is all of a sudden in what you do. When you don't have Jesus, that's your identity. What do you do? That's right, I don't know, I, you know, but, but anyway, so he says, oh, I'm in sales because he says, I sell Jesus. I'm like, I don't know. I don't like to peddle Jesus. I like to testify of Jesus. I like to point to Jesus. I like to glorify Jesus. And because, because when people actually see who Jesus is, they'll be drawn to him. They'll either reject him or they'll be drawn to him. And I'm not embarrassed to say, I'm a pastor and Jesus loves you. But he's, he's here for you, he's for you. And I know many of you, your heart's with him. Well, if that's the case, then today's a day that just brings so much thanksgiving. And wave your palms. We don't have palm branches here because I just have too many traumatic memories of... <laughs> Palm branches are a symbol of peace, and when you give them to children, they're a symbol of war. They just fight. I have many paper cuts and everything, so we're just going to pretend. We're going to use our real palms. Jesus, we praise you. Why don't you stand? I know today was long, but you know what? I, I make time for children. We all will. Because we love them, just like Jesus loves us. So I want to pray for you guys right now. I just want you to bow your head and close your eyes. And I want you to just think upon the Lord. If he's your savior right now, if, he, if, you, if he's conquered your heart, your heart is totally his, then just thank him for everything he's done for you. If he only has a piece of your heart, would you give him everything today? Would you just say, Lord, I'll give you my life. I want to give it all to you. I want to stop taking back and saying, here's my down payment and I'll, I'll collect the rest later. No, 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 no. 
Give him everything. You say, I'm not worth it. That's right. You're not worth it, but he is. He's paid his life for yours. Maybe you never really even given your heart totally to Jesus. Today is the day to do it. So Holy Spirit, would you come into this room? Would you convict us? Would you prompt us? Would gratitude just overflow in our hearts for your sacrifice for us as we celebrate the beginning of your triumphal entry? Holy Spirit, I ask right now that you would continue to knock on the door of their heart. Whoever is needing to give their life to you totally, just knock. And some of you might be standing here and you hear that knock. Your heart's pounding. You know you need to give your life to Jesus. You've been trying to do it on your own for way too long. And the Lord's saying, how's that working out for you? Jesus wants to set you free. You've always been his, and now he wants what's his. Give him your heart today. If that's you, if you wanna give your heart to Jesus, I wanna just invite you to come up. We wanna pray with you. Just come forward. Just come up to the altar right here. We wanna give your heart. We wanna pray with you to give your heart to Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. We're gonna end in just a second. If there's some of you who wanna rededicate your life to Jesus, just come forward right now. This is a great moment. What a great moment to rededicate your life during Passion Week. His passion for you. Thank you, Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. For the rest of you, we just, God, I just bless them. God, I just speak peace over them that throughout this week, you would just continually stir up their life, that you would stir up their heart for gratitude and thanksgiving, and the peace of God would continue to be upon them. Lord, I pray that they would prosper and that they would be drawn to you and that they would continue to give their lives to you. In Jesus' name.